Welcome to the Doctrine Matters Podcast, a tool to help believers rediscover true biblical doctrine and to help them understand and live out their faith in their homes, in their churches, and in their communities. Thank you for listening to this episode. Let's get right to it. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Doctrine Matters Podcast. Thank you for joining. If you are watching on YouTube, thank you for coming on this platform and watching. If you are listening on a podcast platform, audio only, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in there as well. And it's been a couple of weeks, but I'm getting into the part two of Ligonier's State of Theology report that gets put out every two years. Now, the last two years, uh, back in 2020 when this came out, this was concerning. And if you were able to see part one of this when we talked about the state of theology and the first question that we looked at being, does God change? Does God learn things? Does he change? Does he adapt to different circumstances? We saw that many people in America and in evangelicalism both believe that God can change his mind can change his thinking, that he learns things. And we talked about how this is not true from a biblical perspective. So uh, you can go back and listen to part one if you have not already watched that or listened to that. But today we're going to be talking about part two. Part two is another one of those questions that needs to uh, be uh, understood biblically. And I think there are many that really uh, don't understand exactly what the Bible says about different things. So as we get into part two of this, remember that we have to look at things, again, like I said, from a biblical perspective, we have to understand and know what the Bible has said, not think in terms of what we feel, what we think, um, what somebody else has told us. We need to know what God has said in his word. So we're going to look at that today, and we're going to look at the second question that was put out from Ligonier's state of theology, and I'm going to go ahead and share my screen here so that you can see this as well. If you're watching the screen now, you will see that the second question that we're going to be dealing with here today and looking at is the question, are we born innocent? And um, the question was posed differently to the U.S. adults, and it didn't just say, are we born innocent? They made a statement. The statement was, Everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God, and then you are to disagree or agree or be neutral with that statement. So the statement again here, if you're watching, is right here. I'm going to highlight that for you. Everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. So we would like to think so, uh, but there's a reason Vody Balkum calls infants, vipers, and a diaper. So let's let's look at this first. First of all, everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. There are 16% of adults that strongly disagree with this statement. There are 5% who somewhat disagree, and then there's 9% that is not sure. But then as we go down this line here, we will find that 17% somewhat agree that everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God, and 53% strongly agree that we, everyone in the world, is born innocent in the eyes of God. So that's 
that's interesting as we think about this these worldviews that as you talk about adults that are kind of colliding here and answering this this question or or agreeing or disagreeing to the statement. So overall, it would appear that 71% of U.S. adult findings agree that everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. Now, it would be interesting to understand where they're coming from in that, what makes them think that they are born innocent, what makes them uh, just have that idea in their minds. Are they coming from a biblical perspective? If so, would they be able to pinpoint scriptures that show us that everyone is born innocent? Um, and then those that disagree, the same thing. Can they show us in the scriptures why they believe that? Well, let's get down into uh, U.S. evangelical findings. These would be asked to evangelicals, those would profess, those that would profess to be believers in Christ, that that would tend to say they would love God, believe Jesus Christ to be the Son of God, say they are Christians. Let's see if this is any different here. Again, the statement. Everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. So in evangelicalism, we have 28% who would strongly disagree, 4% who would somewhat disagree, and then we have 3% that is not sure, 4% that somewhat agree, and then 61% of evangelicals that would say they agree that everyone in the world is born innocent in the eyes of God, meaning they are born innocent without sin. They are uh, essentially born righteous into this world. So look at, looking at this, breaking this down so we can see this a little carefully, is 65% of evangelicals would be, agree that everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God, and only 32% would disagree. And Ligonier post here, the fact that almost two-thirds of evangelicals believe that humans are born in a state of innocence reveals that the biblical teaching of original sin is not embraced by most evangelicals. God's word, however, makes clear that all humans by nature are children of wrath. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. As a matter of fact, I'm going to turn there and uh, we're going to read this together. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3 um, says this, and then we're going to go look at Romans chapter 5, but Ephesians chapter 2, because I want you to be able to take the Bible's word for it. Anytime that we make statements or uh, or believe in certain doctrines, we must believe from a biblical perspective, not a thought or emotional realm but through the word of God, we find these teachings. And this is what Ephesians chapter two says. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. See, before we are saved as babies, infants, we are children of wrath by our own very nature. And uh, that's clear in the scriptures. Now, if we were to flip back over to Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 12, uh, we would see this again. 
Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 12, says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even though those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. And then uh, we could spend a lot of time here in, in this passage of Romans, by the way. But for the sake of what we're talking about today, I'm going to keep reading. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God. And the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Now, let me say that this passage is not teaching universalism. Just in case any of you tried to catch that, that is not what this passage is teaching. Uh, but we do see that the sin in the garden by Adam and Eve, we find that in Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man. We know that that sin resulted, according to Romans 5 and according to Ephesians 2, that original sin in the garden sent death and sin to every human being from now until Jesus comes back. Every person born into this world, in this life, is born with a sin nature. Now, this doesn't mean that each person is going to be as incredibly wicked or as evil as they could be. But what it does mean is that everybody is born with a sin nature. Just look at your infant children. When you look at your infant, infant children, they scream, they cry, they scream bloody murder because they want you to change their diaper now. They're hungry and they want you to feed them now. They're selfish and they will do whatever it takes to get what they want. They are going to cry, scream for diapers, for food, but then sometimes they're just doing it for attention. Sometimes they're doing it for no reason. Now, all of the, the baby experts would tell you that they're doing it for a reason. Sometimes it's just because they want to be held. Sometimes it's because they're trying to get your attention. And they're trying to get what they want. And they're going to do it. And then as they get a little older, before they can even comprehend what sin is, when you sit and watch them draw on the wall and your toddler, you say, did you just draw on the wall? And they say, nope, I didn't do it. But you watched them do it with your own eyes. Here, that little toddler is a liar. That toddler has lied to your face. Why? Because it is his sin nature. He is born sinful. She is born sinful. That's why we must agree that everyone that is born into this world is not born innocent, but is born guilty with a sin nature and is in need of salvation. And as they grow and learn the gospel and hear the gospel, God prayerfully and hopefully calls them to himself and saves them. But that doesn't negate the fact that they are born sinful. They are not born innocent. They are born as guilty of sin as you and I. You and I 
likely understand the concept of sin. We likely understand what sin is, what what it what it is, what constitutes as sin, what rebellion looks like, and we could say that that is sin. So, although we understand and comprehend sin, the child or the infant may not understand that but they are still sinful because the Bible teaches one man's sin sent death and sin to all men. For we even see in the Bible, the wages of sin is death. So every man will die. Everyone is appointed unto this death once. And then after that comes judgment, Hebrews 9, 27. So uh, because of the original sin in the garden, it is like a cancer that spread rapidly throughout all mankind, and everyone that has ever been born and ever will be born is born guilty of sin against a holy and perfect God. If anybody is born perfectly righteous, that means that they have to be on the level of Christ and, and, and God the Father and the Holy Spirit because they are perfect, therefore, they are, must be some sort of divine being or divine creature or divine person. But we know that's not the case because every man as a result of the fall, man, woman, boy, and girl that has ever been born into this world and ever will be born into this world is born guilty of sin. And this is something that we can't overlook. Um, God created all things good, and then man in the garden messed it all up. It corrupted humankind. Original sin corrupted humankind. If Adam and Eve had not made the choice to sin in the garden, there likely had been perfection even today. But we know because we were not born gods or divine that we would at some point sin because we're not God. Adam and Eve were not God. They were created by God, but they were not created as divine people. They had this free will, so to speak. And we can talk about that later. If you know my position on that, you know that free will was even corrupted then in the garden as well. And our wills become bound to Satan before we're saved. And then they're bound to righteousness or a slave to righteousness after that. So our wills are not necessarily free because of the choice made in the garden long ago. Our, our wills are enslaved to sin or righteousness, and we do things that appease either the, the father, uh, the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, before we're saved, or after we're saved, we give our lives to Christ and righteousness. And when we do sin, we are giving ourselves back over to this flesh and to the things of the world. So uh, there was a free will choice made in the garden that uh, just corrupted humankind, corrupted human will all throughout the rest of this age that we live in. And eventually when Christ returns, he will make all things new. But we have to understand from the Bible, and we can see this, that there is no person born perfect in this world. There is no person that is born innocent. Everyone is guilty. Everyone is born guilty, sinful, totally depraved. Now, not utterly, and like I said, they're not as wicked or evil as they could be, but we are all born depraved. And that's one thing that we have to understand. We are guilty. So this, this, this state of theology is trouble, troublesome as we look at these findings uh, when many people would strongly agree that we're born innocent, not knowing their Bibles, apparently. 
So we are not born innocent. There was only one born innocent, and that was Christ Jesus himself. He was born innocent, and he grew up, never sinned, and he lived a whole life never sinning perfectly on our behalf because we can't. Every one of us are born with a sin nature. He was the only one born of the Spirit, and he was the second person of the Trinity. Jesus Christ lived this perfect life that we could never do because we are born guilty. So uh, I hope that you can see from the scriptures, just from a couple of passages, but you can look all throughout the scriptures at the corruptness and the wickedness and the evilness that comes from every man and woman throughout the scriptures. So uh, we are not born innocent according to the scriptures. So I hope that this has been some encouragement to you. I hope that you have learned today that we're not born innocent. Every man is born with a sin nature. And when I say every man, I, I mean every one, man, woman, whatever. Uh, we're all born with a sin nature. We're all born in need of a Savior as well. And we pray that God would draw people to himself and save them through the shed blood of Christ. So uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Are you one of the ones that believed that we were born innocent? Do you still believe that? If so, why? Tell me in the comments. Reach out to me. Let me know. Or have you learned that we are not born innocent, but we are born guilty? Of course, this is just going to be 15 minutes worth of teaching that is really quick and concise, but uh, we could spend a lot more time talking about this and the result of the fall and the need for redemption, which is uh, reconciliation to God is the story of the whole Bible. If you were to read it from Genesis to Revelation, reconciliation is the story. Atonement is the story. Um, so uh, I hope this has been some encouragement to you. I hope that you see that uh, there should be more strongly uh, disagrees than there are agrees, uh, that we are not born innocent, but we are, in fact, born guilty in the eyes of God as sinful beings that are in need of a Savior even at birth. And remember, Vodibalkum says that your infant is a viper in a diaper, and they will be selfish and do whatever it takes to get their way. Toddlers are the same way. Adolescents are the same way. Teenagers are the same way. I've got two teenagers in my home. We'll have three in my home next year. And I can tell you that those kids are born sinful. None of them are innocent, and neither are yours. Until next time, when we look at the next question that comes up on this, does church membership matter? This is going to be a good one. Um, does church membership matter? That's going to be our next episode, so stay tuned for that. Um, until next time, I hope you have a great day, great week, great weekend, and God bless.